isn't she kind? Aha, here we go. Right, I'm hopefully not going to drop off, but here we go. Oh, the moment you said that, it went a bit twitchy. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. We've got you. So I'm now on the extender. Begin. Isn't she lovely? Um, anyway, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good overnight. And I can say that for the first time this week, and let me explain in a second. I'm Anthony Price. And I'm Jonathan Bradley, and I'm going to say good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and good overnight. I don't know why we're doing the good, good overnight bit, but Ant is now going to tell you. Well, as you may remember, dear listeners, those of you that have been avid listeners pre-pandemic, um, we always used to joke that the that there are some people that might be listening to podcasts whilst making an overnight flight, because in pre-pandemic times, um, people would often listen to us and say they were listening to us whilst commuting. Um, and of course, um, this podcast um, is has been about far longer than Seedle has been. But anyway, there was a number of people that used to listen to our podcast whilst they were traveling across continents and so on. And therefore, I was always conscious that sometimes when we said good morning, good afternoon, good evening, there could be some people that could be listening at three in the morning to the podcast. But the reason I wanted to reintroduce it this week, Mr. Bradley, is because this week is the first time I'm making an international flight for business since the pandemic began. That's going to be very, very weird, getting on a plane. Very Halloween-y. How do you feel about getting on a plane? Not too fussed, actually. I mean, I'm double vaccinated. Um, I'm very impressed with the uh, UK's NHS app, as they call it, because I have a, I've already got my COVID passport, which then you get a QR code, which adds to your Apple wallet. I have an Apple, you know, you can have these Apple wallet and you yeah. can do flight passes. So it's just another flight pass in there now, which now gives you validity of the, the QR code for 28 days. So until the middle of November, I can go to any country that accepts it, which is all EU countries. And actually, I think the US is adopting the same thing. And basically, um, my understanding is even the electronic e-gates will be able to recognize the QR code. And then as long as it matches the name in your passport, you can just travel relatively freely. Um, so that makes it not too stressful. What, of course, I guess is where your question is leading, Mr. Bradley, is how do I feel about getting on a plane, a contained air pressure cabin um, for a couple of hours? I mean, I'm only going to Spain, so it's not like a cross-continent flight. Um, but yeah, on Thursday morning, I fly out to Madrid and fly back Friday afternoon. So I'm literally in the country for, I think it's 31 hours from touchdown to takeoff, including a conference. So um, that is going to be bonkers. Um, and I'm disappointed it's not with you, JB, but it's a sales conference. So it's kind of not as exciting as you and me may want to be excited about. Well, I, I quite like a sales conference. You get yeah. some crazy people at sales conference. I remember going to a sales conference in my radio days. And oh. just before I say what I'm going to say, don't try this at home. Mm. But we went on to the roof of this ginormous hotel with a bottle of champagne. There was about 20 of us. And their salespeople are mad at conferences. They are. This is as if they've been let out of, um, <clears throat> of uni they've gone back to university for a couple of days. Um, this one, I believe, is quite a subdued one. It's, a, it's an international professional services firm that we're, and it's a 30-person conference, I believe, but it's including the CEO, so you'd assume that it will be a much more controlled affair. It's a, um, a company with about four or 500 staff, so it'll be interesting. But we're doing a, um, an evening workshop with them and then a following morning all morning, but I'm pleased because ordinarily what happens, folks, is on a Thursday-Friday conference, you can guarantee that your Friday agenda is interrupted because, well, I've got to get, catch a flight now. 
That's what always happens on these international always, conferences. Always. But they're starting at 8 a.m. and having the conference finish at 1 p.m. So there's no excuses for those afternoon flights going home. It's the shortest conference ever. I know. I know. So we're, we're, so we're starting on the Thursday evening at 5. We've got a 5 till 7 meeting on the Thursday and then an 8 yeah. till 1 on the Friday. But they would they start their conference today. So they, they've actually started their conference. It's an all-week affair. Okay, right. So all rather exciting. But in any case, that's why I felt it was appropriate to reintroduce the good overnight to our leadership conference kickoff commentary. Yes. Well, here we are. I don't know how many um, web, how many of these podcasts we've actually done now, but it feels like hundreds. 63. Nearly. Um, yeah. the, I, I do remember the early ones. Um, the, the Danube, I think, was a special one. We, In fact, any of you that are listening to the podcast, either in the live audience or recorded, I think our first ever episode was recorded in Singapore. And then we were in London the following week, so we recorded it in the Premier Inn in London, which is a bit of a downfall from this very prestigious tower hotel in Singapore. And then week three was Danube, and I think week four was one of the Channel Islands, because honestly, folks, I can't tell you enough that part of the entertainment of the podcast early on was us telling you where we were and what we were up to in those particular countries. Um, but like I think me and JB were talking off air, I think, last week, that we're quite looking forward to having a bit more travel. But to the extent that it was in 2019, I'm not sure I want to go back to that again. don't want to go back. So half as much, I think, um, would be good. And I think it fits in quite nicely with, um, you know, conversations about hybrid working. And, you know, some CEOs think it's a really um, important uh, thing for people to be together. Uh, and you know they they are saying right you know this culture is about us being in the same office and you know we cannot possibly have strong values and um, strong purpose uh, if you're sitting in a, in your in your home in the kitchen you know there's a, there's a sort of damage to to culture um, and you know I it's interesting isn't it because you know we we work from home a lot. Um, and I'm in the office lives. tomorrow and Wednesday, thank goodness. It's half term this week in the UK. Yeah, good time to go to the office then. Mm. And then Madrid Thursday, Friday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have to say, um, it, it's interesting. And I know look, some of you are listening to this podcast possibly months, years in the future, because our first podcast is two years ago last week, incidentally. Um, and um, we, I don't know where I was going with this comment, but anyway, um, I think um, we're in a space now at the moment in the UK where there is speculation that actually herd immunity is about to kick in. So reading some of the papers today, they think even with no more measures, our case numbers are going to start to drop quite significantly because the majority of the cases at the moment are either the travelling people who no longer will PCR test or lateral flow and therefore the testing numbers will come down, but also because of natural herd immunity. And sorry, because therefore the less PCR tests it will mean there'll be less positive results. But even with the people that do display symptoms, they get tested. Um, they will also drop because most of the positive cases in the UK are school age and they literally just seem to pass it off without any problems whatsoever. Very limited hospital admissions. And we're now getting to apparently to this point where, and this is the London School of Tropic and Tropical Medicine or whatever it's called. They, yeah. The experts in their field basically, so it's a non-political statement but they reckon that we we should be by the beginning of december 
down to 10% of the cases we were at last week per day. Good grief. With no more interventions. And it makes you wonder whether that was the plan all along. Actually, let's just get everyone. It's a bit like a chicken pox party they used to talk about as a joke with the mums years ago. Yeah. If one yeah. of your kids has got chicken pox, let's get it done now before they, you know, we don't want them getting it when they're older. Let's get them together, have a rub, <laughs> catch yeah. chicken pox, and then you'll have yeah. had it then. Um, but you have to wonder whether this was always the plan. And actually, before it gets too dark and cold, get everyone mixed in, get them all that have it, have had it. Natural immunity then kicks in as well as the vaccinations, boosters. And then the case numbers drop. I mean, ethically, that's quite a, uh, an interesting position, though, isn't it? Because quite a lot of people died in the, in the making of that particular movie. Well, well yes, but then equally, uh, oh, we're blurring into politics here, I suppose. Well, not politics, but outside of the leadership theming. Um, people die of the flu every year as well, with or without vaccinations, and we can't shut the world down for flus, and therefore should we shut the country down for COVID? Um, but if you look at the case, the death numbers since everything's been unlocked, it's very, very low in comparison. I think we've only had, if I'm not mistaken, we've had less than three and a half thousand deaths since April, and it's 139,000 since the beginning. So actually, if you look at it since everything was kind of started to be opened back up again, the numbers are the death rate now is incredibly low. The hospitalization rates are very low, but the case numbers are high because we're just letting all the kids that are immune to it ultimately just get it. Um, and my children aren't any my, my, my I've got four kids. I know you've got four as well, haven't you, JB? Only one is currently applicable for the vaccination and she's had her first. But my three boys are all under the age of 12. And therefore they haven't had a vaccination, but equally they haven't picked it up either, which again brings me back to the point, JB, that we've spoken about before, is I reckon we've all had it and just been asymptomatic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember when we came back from Mumbai, I, I really had terrible trouble breathing on the on the plane back. I can't remember if you're sitting next to me, but there was a a, a poor, poor uh, lady sat next to me on the right, and I coughed and coughed and coughed and spluttered. And, and actually, at one point, I really, really started running out of air. And I started getting quite stressed about it. And then I started doing my yoga breathing techniques and managed to get back. Um, yeah. And then when I got home, Chris will, um had organised a party. Um, and I so, remember that. Didn't yeah. I leave you at the airport? Was it, were you getting a train into London and end up staying in yeah. the hotel room all night? Yeah. And I'd, so I, she was furious that I was so boring. Um, having just flown back from Mumbai, not slept at all, with with terrible cough and sweating, and uh, anyway, yeah, she was um, not not amused. But she had a great time in your absence. Well, um, I think she did. <laughs> anyway, um, folks, um, for those of you that have have endured the last twelve minutes or so of our podcast, well done for staying this long. Indeed, um, our podcast theme, if you weren't aware, is. Um, all about leadership um, and me and JB often then throw in some other exciting bits for measure and good humor and bants along the way and this week is no different um, and we do as ever have some themes to talk about JB sent me some messages on WhatsApp uh, and as did I to him um, but the topic I would like to talk about first JB if I may is that I am quite keen to reflect on um uh, where is it? Let me scroll up to my comments to you. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Uh, 
I'm just scrolling down. For, I should have looked for it. Um, where did it go? I must have sent it to you on email, maybe. Anyway, it was um, in... Um, on, so some of you may have read in the news in the UK that a politician um, was murdered um, and it's the second politician in five years to be murdered and just for good this is this is not necessarily a um, nice thing to say but if you can take some positive from it there's been people from both sides of the political spectrum been murdered so it's not about one part it's it's not a, an issue of one type of individual against another there is clearly an issue in the country around um i guess um safety and so on and it made me think about actually sometimes the vulnerability and mental health of leaders in business and actually sometimes there is legitimate threats against them as well um, and sometimes doing these jobs are not particularly pleasant. And I'm also aware that me and JB often talk, you know, very tongue in cheek. And also we talk relatively safely from our nice studios where we are safe and well, and we can give out advice. But of course, on the cold face of it, some of the questions we get submitted perhaps are, are born out of some severe anxiety from the leader's perspective about how they deal with particular situations. So I just thought it would be useful for me and JB just to kind of, I guess, kick around the subject around vulnerability and leadership. And actually, um, I guess the, the, the fine line about how you and I feel about taking tough decisions on what it does to your reputation um, and also about the threats. Now, the threats are going to be less focused on, if I'm honest. But I do think sometimes we shy away from tough decisions or when we take those tough decisions, we can live to pay, or sorry, we can pay, unfortunately, with our reputation of doing things. So for example, it may be you need to exit someone in your team or in your business that you know is hugely popular. <clears throat> and that's gonna result in the rest of your team resenting you for quite for some time. How do you go about rebuilding that trust between them and you? And again, I know JB may have a quote, which I, I know he's used a few times around, sometimes it's okay to shoot a hostage. Um, you know, th there's there's a few things at play here that I just thought was worth bringing to the fore. Um, but JB, first to you, um, I guess, leadership vulnerabilities, um, your own experiences of of feeling vulnerable, either for you, for you and again, and I know this is, we, we, we will dance around this sensitively, um, but I'm also aware that um, politics is a pretty brutal industry to be in. Um, what, what's, what's your take on, on that news a couple of weeks ago? Well, um, I mean, obviously uh, devastating. And it, isn't it awful that uh, in both cases, uh, these were people who were passionate about uh, doing the right thing uh, for their local communities, um, both, both individuals, uh, from opposite sides of the spectrum, um, both were uh, valued and and trusted in their communities, and with a, a number of um, extraordinary things that they had achieved uh, for for charities and organisations, and you know the the quotes about people um, just going and having a chat in the MP surgery. And what a make what a difference it made to their mum or their dad. Um, the MP actually really did something to cross shift. party as well. They, they, cross they, party. Yeah, both of them. I think in both of their cases, 
They had people that were not necessarily typical voters of their party that were helped by both of these individuals, which makes these murders even more cruel. I'm well, not suggesting. Was, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It just seems so unfair that really decent people uh, had their lives cut short in 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 particularly gruesome fashion. Um, and I don't know. It, it, it's it's not it's not comfortable to to really kind of have that precedent that if you you are out there and you are communicating and you are collaborating. Uh, you're putting yourself at risk. Uh, I think there is a movement now towards having security guards so that they can actually uh, go out and speak to their uh, constituents. But I saw, I saw a really interesting idea last weekend. Just sorry to interrupt, then I'll, I'll go back to you in a second. There was an example last weekend I saw where an, a local councillor, um, MP, sorry, and local police and crime commissioner have decided to start doing joint surgeries. Oh. So there is a police presence and a political presence there simultaneously. And you can either make an appointment to see the local member of parliament or the police. And there are some local bobbies outside also available to talk to them about their own community policing. And I thought that's a really clever idea. It brings the police frontline closer to the individuals to go, you know, they were literally out there to talk and, you know, what's, what's your issues, what's bothering you? Um, and it, and it, and apparently it proved quite useful. But to your point, JB, it gives that sense of security there as well. As you were, sorry. Well, that's uh, that is actually quite interesting, isn't it? So, um, I mean, that's that's a that's a clever idea to create security and maintain democracy, maintain openness, hmm. which is, I mean, this is central to the openness of an organisation, the openness of a, a, a you know of our politics of democracy and so on so we 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 have to protect these these institutions and we have to protect these people um from uh you know really really crazy things happening um like what we've what we've read about uh, it, it is it is absolutely i was shocked the first time and i was shocked the second time and it just saddens me mm. so much because you know they're both from families um and you know they represent the best of politicians um, of yeah. politicians and it and it's uh, you know it's very very upsetting the second one's not so far from you was it jb um they're only about 25 30 miles away from me is that right yeah so um just around the, just around the corner really just um around the wash and there you are um yeah, not but good. yeah not um, good at all can, can, I, I i thought it might be worth talking about the unique positioning of a of a politician in their community now again i'm not sure about politics around the world but the role of a member of parliament in the uk is that they take a seat in in the central houses of parliament and they are elected to represent the constituents that elected them and indeed the people that didn't elect them but were but obviously they voted for another person but they're now ultimately elected to represent that area in in parliament uh, and of course, as many of the commentary that came out beyond the murder of the guy a few days ago was that the thinking is that these people wear two hats. They are definitely politically aligned in Parliament and therefore they will follow the government's thinking on many things. But often all of them, the second part of their job, which they often see as the more rewarding, 
is the work they do in their local communities and are a point of leadership and influence to get things over the line. And the examples I heard were, you know, as JB's alluded to, it, this person helped my mum get into a house that they were unable to get into. This person got medical attention after being dismissed by their doctor after that member of parliament got involved and so on. But but what's interesting is, is this rather unique relationship is that MPs are a leader for their local community. And by the way, what bugs me is our last podcast I was going to bring up because a few weeks ago, just before the murder happened of the most recent politician, um, there was another MP that came out saying that they don't think MPs are paid enough and they weren't complaining about themselves. They said, no, not for me. But if you want to attract head teachers and doctors, when MPs are paid less, you're not going to attract the right people. And I have to agree with that. Well, but I think we can agree on that. And I, I said I had a, a heated debate with someone recently on that very subject. And I said, actually, uh, I think MPs, um, politicians need to be paid more money so that Double. they can vote, so that we can attract really talented people who would have gone or who, or who have been in industry um, yes. and in teaching and at the highest level and, you know, in, in the medical world and so on. We want that talent um, in Completely. running our country. And Completely agree. It's, it's really interesting, that point, actually, about that kind of diversity of uh, thinking that you're going to get inside um, parliaments and, and senates and what have you around the world. Uh, we need that. We don't want career just career politicians uh, because you end up uh, with the same, same old, same old, same old thinking yep. and it gets stuck. And I, I would, I, you know, I would go as far as to say I think that's probably where we are um, you know, in we're, the UK yeah. now, and I think there, there are, are some, other countries where it's the same. There are some amazing politicians, uh, yeah. and they top up their income and are constantly, you know, harassed about why they do that. And actually, a it broadens their experience. Sometimes, if they are sat on boards, I think that's no bad thing. Again, it depends if they're influencing or the impartiality of that appointment. But you've got chief executives of local authorities. There's 380 councils in the UK. I think three quarters of them pay nearly double what they pay an MP to be the chief executive. They are unelected. They have pretty little accountability, really, apart from bin collection and collecting local taxes and bits and pieces. Most schools have been taken away from their influence now and given to academies or county level stuff. Anyway, look, I digress. I guess where I was getting at with this is that MPs are seen as local leaders for the community. But interestingly, who's their line manager? And the reason, and hear me out here, JB, is because we talk, me and JB bang on about the role of a first line manager is to mentor, to coach, inspire. And JB also articulates very, very well the importance of knowing, focusing, and valuing your direct reports. Now, I have to, for a second, give you this rather weird analogy that an MP's manager is every member that person in their constituency. They are held accountable by us because we can vote them out in the next election. And yet why is it therefore that all we do is punish our MPs when they do something wrong rather than praising them when they do something good? Yeah. Because as well as a salary, we talk about this all the time, salary in itself is not enough. You're not going to keep people working for you forever unless the money is so eye-wateringly life-changing. They do it for three years. They, suck, they, they, they then have enough to then bankroll them for the rest of their life. You're going to alienate all of the people that want to work in your company. And the same can be said for 
you pay a double the salary for MPs. If it keeps going the way it is, I tell you something, there's no way I want to do their job. <clears throat> no way. And, I, and, and, and I'm one of those people that's been in a fortune business and significantly more than an MP. But there is no way, even if they offered me the same money that I was on at my peak, that I would take the job of an MP. It ain't enough. Because why should I put up with my line managers treating me the way that they do, as in my constituents? Because they're damned if they do and damned if they don't, because they're always going to have a majority of people on their side of the voting electorate. But of course, if you look in most constituencies, if turnout is 70% and they got 53 or 54% of the turnout, actually in reality, they only got 36% of their local constituency voted them into power. And of course, they now sit in power and actually the general public, minus the ones that didn't, sorry, if you include the ones that didn't vote, and I know they say, well, if you didn't vote, you've not got a voice, but they still do. You're simply going to drive everyone away from the career of being an MP. And that's when the danger happens. But we really need to start valuing our local MPs. We all are line managers of those people and we owe it to them to celebrate the successes that they bring, even if we don't agree with their party of colour. If I'm a Labour voter and there's a Conservative in my seat and they've done something good, to still hate on them because they're part of a party that is not one that I align with isn't reasonable. And again, we look at these two examples of these deaths that have happened and there has been people across the political spectrum admiring these people. And I think it's fair to say that, and I said this last time, unfortunately, it's repeated again now, is that actually, if you look at behind the parliament sessions, most of them do go in and out of each other's offices for coffee. They, they, they all get around a Christmas tree and give each other gifts and things. And often there's Christmas cards that are exchanged. There's um, Frank Field is an MP that I think is terminally ill at the minute. And he made reference. He was talking. Yeah. So he, he had a, a statement read out in the house of Lords saying he's dying and he was oh. talking in favor of assisted dying. And he said that he didn't believe in assisted dying until a, another MP friend was terminally ill and wanted to end their life early, but couldn't do so. And, and again, he didn't make reference to the political color, but we also know that in the last eight weeks, there has been a death due to a terminal illness from a sitting MP. Yes. And that sitting MP was an opposite party to the MP that is now claiming about his own, his own yeah. reality. And I think that the leadership of the parties needs to sort their shit out and start being completely transparent about the things they agree on. I'm sick and tired of watching politics where it's mud throwing even actually, you know what, can you say, and Keir Starmer went through a period of actually, uh, certainly during the pandemic of agreeing with, well, actually I agree with this. And he was being annihilated by his own members. At the same time, <clears throat> I hate to say it, and this is going to sound a little bit biased here, but I'm going to say it anyway. I do think generally speaking, the Conservative Party electorate voters are more tolerant of opposition views than the Labour Party are of Conservative Party views. The examples I will give is I have a very close relative um, <clears throat> who's a part of a walking club and sometimes they go into they do like walks and they go and stop at bars and pubs and things along the way and they were invited to stay in a uh, or have lunch in a conservative what are they called they're called like working men's clubs aren't they but there's kind of conservative clubs and there's working men's labor clubs if you will 
And because of the um, it being a conservative, it was it was a non-party event. It was just they using their facilities. There was this group of people that refused. I'm refusing to go. And they're disgusting. That's you know they're they're all these words that I don't like them using about each other. Um, and you just think that there is a real problem. And I think it comes from the leadership of these parties. They've got to start stamping out saying, "You talk to any person like that, you 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 are banned from being a member of our party." We will not tolerate this type of division. And if someone doesn't do something soon, I hate to say it, we're going to be talking about this again and again, I think, with or without security. MPs stopped on the street. They're recognized in the supermarket. One final thing, Joe, because I'm conscious I'm stealing a bit too much of the airtime here. You will know that I'm in contact with a few MPs because of my, my previous career where I was having to influence MPs on a regular basis around legislation. And I went to meet one of these MPs for a coffee and I need to go and get some paperwork from his constituency office. And his, the coffee shop where I met him was about three quarters of a mile walk from the coffee shop to his constituency office. We got stopped seven times, three of which he was being abused in the yeah. street, Ver verbally only, you know, why are you sorting this out? You know, you're outrageous. You're rubbish. That's awful. And I, and this was at three quarters, you know, this three quarters of a mile walk should have took, took us what? five, 10 minutes to walk. It was 25 minutes. And by the time I got to his constituency office, I was just desperate to, to run away. Do you know what posted to me, mate? <laughs> uh, this is scary stuff for me. And these people are, you know, are choosing to go into these careers for average salaries with respect yeah. for the risks they take. Yeah. And, the, and their line managers are us. We need to show them the respect they deserve and credit where it's due, regardless of how they are voting in Parliament. Endeth my sermon, JB, your turn. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think you ought to be an MP, and No. But you wouldn't get paid enough. Uh, and and, and even, even I don't want my kids being exposed to this stuff. And it makes you wonder why anyone would want to be a politician. You know, in these okay. days of, of awful trolls on social media, you know, I think it's a really good point that you make, and about you know politicians of of whatever colour or creed or whatever. I, I, um, they do need supporting, uh, and and I like your point about recognised for the stuff that they do that's good, um, and that you know we are their bosses, and and we need to step up and be good bosses. But I think there are some MPs out there who really don't do very much work, and. Um, you know, really kind of, uh, they are on a bit of a gravy train. Completely uh, agree. To, to be fair. But I, as you were talking about, you know, the election process uh, in, in a democracy, um, can you imagine if in a, uh, a big organisation, every four years, uh, the managers had to face a vote? <laughs> Um, and the leaders have to face a vote of, of whether they uh, stay in their job or not. I what imagine the, the unions would love that, wouldn't they? God, what would that do? You know, if you knew you could get rid of your boss in, oh, you know, we've only got two more years. I mean, maybe you do it every two years. You just have a thing where everyone votes uh, to keep the boss. And you know, if it's, it's like a sort of, um, you know, red, amber, green. So if it's green... You might have a few votes against you, um, but you've got to get your shit together. Uh, if it's amber, you really are borderline and you've got to start going out and doing some serious electioneering 
uh, and get your people on your side. The areas that you got it wrong, uh, your people scored you low on knowing, focusing and valuing them. In there are probably some big indicators of getting this back into the green. And, oh, you're in the red. Uh, get your coat, uh, empty your desk, you're gone. So what happens in that instance then where the leader has been deselected or voted out? The appointment of their successor, how does that work? And surely there is a risk that the business then could fail as a result of the replacement leader being doing what's right for the people and the business and the people have felt betrayed. They vote them out and the person brings them in is focused on them, but then the business fails because they've got no focus. Ooh, what a hotbed yeah. of thinking. Well, and, and also the customer. The customer has a say. Hmm. The customer has a say. I guess that affects the the, the senior leadership team. Um, but, you know, maybe if the customer is saying, actually, this, this salesperson isn't doing so well, uh, then if they've got a red, then they get kicked out. Take that to your conference. Well, you know, I'm, it's, I'm, it's I'm mad, now fasc- I'm fascinated now as to whether um, whether I was put up for election, whether I'd be successful or not. Well, you see, that's it. That's it. Now, so one could do it as a as a bit of a game, <laughs> and so that you don't obviously you don't get fired, you know. But if you, if you've got if you've got a red, maybe you should take note because in politics you'd be voted out, my friend, um, because you don't no focus or value your electorate which is your team and your colleagues and uh, take note because you need to get it first into amber and then into green we'll help you with that process Uh, we're going to put these training programs together Um, we'd like you to think about um, maybe getting a mentor and you know maybe getting some development stuff going on but i think that sort of red amber green just in really simple terms and then you know that idea that if you're in politics you'd probably get kicked out i don't know i'm making it up as i go along but it's quite kind of weird and wacky on a monday morning it is Um, it is what what a topic to kick off our working week have you heard of cognitive diversity and now i've heard of cognitive dissonance but not cognitive diversity what is cognitive diversity jb well so um i'm going to be honest i hadn't heard of it before either um but, but you know the answer now right? you're not gonna leave us all in suspense until next week's episode no i haven't got a clue i just thought i'd throw it into the mix and then just <laughs> leave it dangling out there oh. for, for people to write in and phone in and please tell us what is cognitive diversity of course i know what it is well, only because i read it um and uh, I, I was doing some uh, kind of thinking about our podcast. And I've, got, I've created a little bank for myself of um, quite interesting uh, snippets. And this is one of the ones that popped up. And I think the reason it's stuck with me is that it's about Scottish widows. Um, and Scottish widows uh, is a pension company. Yeah, before anyone other listeners gets confused, is thinking, what's that got to do with women that have lost their husbands in Scotland? <laughs> Scottish Widows is a massive, massive pension company. And uh, interesting, well, interesting for me anyway, uh, is that my meagre little pension is with Scottish Widows. And this whole thing about cognitive diversity is being done at Scottish widows 
and it's framed as this. Uh, Scottish widows think boards need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, so what they are up to um, is avoiding groupthink. And groupthink is a little touching a little bit on what we've talked about this morning, in that you put a whole load of people together who are career politicians or you know they've been in the same job for a very long time and they all think the same and then you get a, a maybe a dominant ceo that creates a group think approach to doing things so you can probably see where this is leading at scottish widows this example um, they are putting into their board uh, a board made up of cognitive diversity. So people are selected on the power and diversity of their thinking. So you'll get people from the music industry, you'll get people from the hospitality industry, you'll get people from finance, you've got people who have absolutely no idea about uh, the financial services industry um, whatsoever. And they've done this whole thing um, through a piece of research done, um, and it's called Great Minds Don't Think Alike. And it's co-authored uh, with Do Dr. Joanna Grosvold, Associate Professor at the School of Management. So they've got some good um, weight behind this. Uh, and the idea is that because you get this um, cognitive diversity, you get some damn good constructive disagreement rather than everyone accepting uh, that this is the way we're going to do things around here. In other words, the dangers of group think. And that, that's just at a board, but I think they're going further and thinking about it further down inside the organization. And they want to foster a culture within the organization um, where people are comfortable uh, with the idea of being uncomfortable. Mm. I think that's, I, you see, I think that's pretty good. So long as there is a supportive chair of that committee at the top, I suppose. Um, because you and I have talked in previous episodes of the podcast where diluting the thinking too thinly, then sometimes you need the person, someone to pull it together to say, well, we're going with this particular route. Um, at, actually, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the board that I report into, um, and you will be aware of that board because you have a seat on that board. And they are probably, they have a high level of cognitive diversity, I would say. Um, I think there is, it's, yeah. it's always fascinating. I think my challenge is they probably have, there's quite an entrepreneurial board, which means there's lots of ideas, but I would certainly say that they all come with different disciplines and priorities, which is either born out of their own background and experiences thus far, or, or I suppose monetary interest in the direction of travel where their investment has gone but it, it, it certainly does make for a uh, uh, there are some ideas that have come from the board not from me that's for yeah. sure 
as a result of it. Yeah, I think I think it, it it's massively important uh, to get people from different uh, walks of life, different experience. Um, to I, I mean, your board is an ex interesting example uh, where you've got in that board some pretty cool ground birds, and you've also got some pretty cool skybirds. Yeah, and um, I think that that could create the the conditions for some constructive disagreement and debate um, because a skybird uh, way of thinking is to take a very very big picture broad view of what's going on um, but a ground bird is going to think why waste time in this meeting talking about um, conceptual crazy shit when we need to get down into the fundamentals of this plane that we're building uh, because we're never going to be able to take off unless we deal with some of the absolutely critical factors that will hold the business back. Um, I've been reading some very interesting stuff about this whole area and particularly around language and behavior. And uh, there are people who uh, are focused on away from conversation, away from the problem conversation, and you've got those who are interested in going towards goals. So um, in, in boards, you, you can hear it. Well, you, you can hear it in management. Um, someone who is focused on solving the problem uh, is one thing. But then on the other hand, there are people who are interested in creating the goal, the destination. They are towards people and others are away from people. So I think if you also thought about things like that on a board, that would be very useful in getting the structure right. Is this someone who focuses on the problems or is this a person who actually focuses on the solution? Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking of some of the board meetings, not just yours, but other ones I've attended where... You know, there is often a predominance of, of um, away from the problem rather than towards the solution. Um, that's one concept. And then another one I think is quite interesting, which is uh, internal and external. Some people uh, actually are confident with their internal uh, voice. Their, their voice is the dominant one. Um, it's not arrogant, but they are confident in the way things are. They're, they're, they perceive themselves to be aware of what matters and they are able to make a decision regardless of other people's opinion. There are other people uh, who are, they're more based on the external perspective, the external view, and they cannot make a decision until they've actually got everyone else to decide what needs to happen around here and so another that you know having that complexity in your board setup of the um the external people who think actually we need to get an opinion on this we need to get other people involved in this we need to hear the other voices there'll be another person on that board who'll be thinking no we don't uh, we should be confident about this decision we need to act now and be dynamic about it so if you if you end up with um a person who is an away from the problems focused person 
and they are an external, externally reliant on other people's thinking, that person would drive me nuts. But that would be good to have on a board to counter me, yeah. who's going to be towards the solution and actually probably just going, I think we've got enough information here to actually make this happen. So cognitive diversity is a new thing. Um, and I would imagine that regulators uh, would actually find that quite an interesting uh, filter for people to apply to their boards um, and the way that they recruit board directors and um, C-suite um, of it's an ever it's an ever growing C-suite, isn't it? That's the thing. You know, you've got chief marketing officer, chief revenue officer. These are all new titles that have, have become C-suite level. You've had then chief diversity officer. Just two weeks ago, you and I were talking about the chief leadership officer. Um, the chief people officer doesn't always sit on the executive committee anymore. It's um, yeah, it's 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 becoming a bigger think tank, I suppose. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so that I think um, is, uh, I'd like to return to that as as we go along. I'm I'm doing quite a lot of work on a uh, a concept at the moment, uh, which is called uh, work with wobbly bits. Yes. Um, and work with wobbly bits, uh, all the things that we go into work, worrying about our anxieties, worrying about imposter syndrome, uh, worrying about uh, this not being good enough. Uh, we, we might have a, uh, a perfectionism type problem. Uh, we might feel that some people we can't work with because that face is like the face of someone I used to be at school with who bullied me um, and all of those sort of things. And I, I, I think all of that is quite germane to this conversation about, you know, the qualities of really good MPs, the qualities of really good CEOs. Um, I, I would love to ask people that I work with uh, and my clients uh, about, you know, what are your wobbly bits? Um, because I think I would I would love to be in a team, I, you know, I think in boards and so on, where people are prepared to accept and admit that they have wobbly bits. I've certainly got some. Yes, I shake mine <laughs> about regularly. Um. Do we have anything else? We have um, no listener questions this week, JB. Oh, right. So okay. we we can either um, you know give our our podcast listeners a a ten minutes back in their diary, or um, is there anything else you wish to bring to the table today for the the, the leisure podcast? Well, um, ooh, uh, well, we could just um, talk about ourselves. We could talk about um, when we're going to get our hair done again. Um, we could talk about. What we're doing this week, I, I'm actually all on my own this week, apart from Twizzle the dog. Oh. So what am I going to get up to, I wonder? Where is the good lady this week? She's left me for another man. Um, no, actually, she's gone off with her son to Cornwall uh, for the week. Uh, she did it a couple of years ago with her eldest son. It's like a sort of rite of passage thing. 
um, spend six hours with your mum in a car and talk about the things that happen in the world. Um, I don't know whether they talk about the birds and the bees or anything like that, uh, but I think it would be the boys actually talking to Christabel about the, the birds and the bees rather than the other way around. Right, right. That reminds me of of you and me when we first started traveling and we knew that we'd probably get about three hours sleep on a flight out of 10 hours because we had so much to catch up on. We would normally start... Yeah, we'd normally start our conversation in the airport lounge, which nine times out of 10, one of us would be late for due to traffic conditions on the road. We'd then get on board and get on the plane, have a drink and then go, right, where should we start then? And we'd then spend the next three and a half, four hours just all chewing the fat, basically, and probably entertaining everyone sat around us. Well, I don't know about that. Um, I do miss I do miss our travels. And, I, you know, I, I tell you what, if you'd asked me, uh, even four months ago, four or five months ago, uh, you know, do you, do you actually hanker after a, a, a trip uh, on a plane with Ant? I would have said no, no disrespect, Ant, but, you know, <laughs> I, the, <laughs> those, those trips, I mean, they were heavy, heavy, heavy duty, you know, and, I, I, you know, it's good to, to completely stop it to go, what did I miss? What happened? What's going on here? Yes, yeah, true. And, um, oh, hello, You, I so I've got four kids. Wow, that's hopefully only four, you know, something. <laughs> um, during the travels. During the travels. But no, it's so my, my other half, actually, you know, she did admit the other day that um, she used to have a little tear when I went off on the, on the travels. And, and she didn't want me to feel sad as I went off that I'd left her again um so i it had a bit of an impact there um, well you, you in 2019 you and me were abroad together i think 90 days and i was abroad 130 days yeah and that was you know and that that's everything you know that, that that's a significant part of your year sat on planes um yeah yeah um, and, I, and I so we've adapted we've adapted and you know we do we do an awful lot of what we do virtually but i i'm quite envious of you going off uh, on your trip, actually, I have to say, uh, it's not that I want to get away from um, my wife or my stepchildren, uh, not at all. Um, although sometimes I might agree with that, not as far as my wife is concerned, just in case there are any friends of mine listening. Uh, in fact, I'm going to retreat from this point now, except for the fact that just being out there seeing people walking into a room full of people and just finding out about them and what makes them tick and you know maybe maybe having a look at some of their wobbly bits yeah um, and you know having a having a bit of a band band sessions getting involved with people's lives making a difference we uh, did do yeah. some serious countries didn't we you know i think back to some of the 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 meals we went out to we went out for that banquet where the starter came out and we ate and we're like, well, should we go now? No, that's just a starter. Sorry. Oh, my goodness. And they Where brought was out. That? Was that in that, Poland? It might have been Poland. I think it was Poland, yeah. I think that was in Poland. Yeah. And, yeah, it was an enormous meal, an enormous, it was a banquet of food. It was. I, I felt so guilty mm. uh, when we left because there was, you know, a kind of mound of food left in the middle of the room. And that came off my budget, if I remember correctly, as well. And I thought, actually, we could have halved that. I mean, it wasn't expensive anyway, but, um, you know, you just thought, well, we could have halved that spend and still been full. Yeah. <sighs> well, there well, you go. So, 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 my, so your week is Home Alone with Twizzle. 
Home Alone, um, writing new course co content around wobbly bits. And um, I've got to do some painting of some floorboards before Christopher gets back. I keep name checking. I don't, she'd probably kill me if she, she knew. I was I'm not sure. Checking. I mentioned my wife's name on, on the podcast. Don't. No. It's completely crazy. No, people will be looking her up saying he's an ass. Yeah. No, not <laughs> at all. What about your weekend? Are you... Well, oh, you've got, uh, yeah, you've got your trip. Anything yeah, ha half term. So uh, means the kids are fortunately out at the minute for our live webinar. They will be home later on, which is a little bit good. Um, and then tomorrow, Wednesday in the office, Thursday, Friday, Madrid. And then the weekend, we have some relatives coming down that had to reschedule because of the last time because of the fuel crisis uh, in the UK a few weeks ago. Um, everyone started being fools and panic buying fuel and the driver situation hasn't changed since then. But of course now everyone's got full tanks. There's no panic anymore. Um, but it meant that my cousin couldn't drive down because he didn't have enough range to get there and back because everyone had run out because everyone's panic buying, which is very, very annoying. Uh, anyway, so they are down for the weekend. And then I believe next week is another week of chaos and carnage. Yes, but not traveling anywhere. No, 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 no. This, this, this is the only travel I'm doing this side of Christmas, as I understand it yet. Um, but, that um, Christmas word keeps popping up. People are talking about that word. Well, it's two lots. months today, JB. Well, I know. But so even my brother, who I said, we do not talk about Christmas until November. Ever. There you go. One present. Oh, my Lord. You've already got a present. Yeah, That's down there, crazy. But... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's just my, your presence yourself. Yes, this is just my gift for my own amazingness. <laughs> um, anyway, um, well, look, um, uh, it's been an interesting episode, I think, this this time. If there is a particular um, topic you'd like me and JB to talk about, please email GLP for Global Leadership Podcast at com or Global Leadership Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Submit your questions and your topic themes, and me and JB will attempt to pick it up at some point in the coming weeks and months. Um, but nonetheless, um, I've been Anthony Price. And I have been JB. I have nothing more to add. Goodbye. Goodbye.